Um, first things first, before we, we bum everybody out. Um, I remember there was an, an interview that Tom did about angels and airwaves in which he instructed people that the best way to listen to that album was in a dark room at night with one single candle lit, which was the moment in which I knew I was not going to like it. (laughs) I'm like, this is for somebody. It is not for me. (laughs) Fucking pretentious space bullshit. Get out of (laughs) here. like a team that is the name of the podcast uh, uh my name is adrian at least as far as i'm concerned and my name is ashley as far as you're concerned <laughs> though i feel like at some point we may have to just come up with aliases choose your fighter so of the members of blink 182 who are you going with i am not talented enough to be travis and i am not emo enough to be tom so i think i'm mark after doing the research for this album like i just want to cuddle travis in my arms and tell him that it's gonna be okay and that parents get divorced all the time (laughs) i wrote down something similar and okay i just well first off we will be talking about arguably the least discussed blink 182 album like it almost doesn't exist i feel to the large portion of fan base neighborhoods for sure to which, for almost every bit of my notes, I start off by saying, yay, Travis. Uh-huh. Literally every song, I make at least one note about the drums and how they fucking slap. So we knew at one point we were going to do a Blink-182 album. And after, what, five minutes of deliberating? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we could have done any of them. We could have done Dude Ranch or Cheshire Cat. We could have done Buddha, for all I know. But yeah, I, I thought it would be interesting, much like we did with Rocksteady, to talk about maybe one of the albums that doesn't often get discussed. And I've only listened to this maybe twice, three times in its entirety since it came out in 2011. So this was fun, but not in a way that like Rocksteady was fun. This one was this one was kind of dark. This was exhausting. This was the first time where I legitimately had to take breaks and not like. I'm going to pause the album for 10 minutes and like go fuck around doing somewhere else. Um, I like literally had to take music breaks. I think like f- I ended up taking like four different breaks through this where I needed to listen to something else for a second. Part of it was like interesting research stuff where Travis, I read an interview where Travis was like on this album, I wanted to sort of explore some of my hip hop stuff, like my hip hop influency stuff, which he'd never really had the chance to do in a Blink-22 album. And That reminded me of the album that he did with the Transplants. And then I had to listen to Diamonds and Guns to remind myself, like, try and figure out if that song is still good. It's not. It's not. No. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So the music is great. Tim Armstrong puts on this weird accent that is mad problematic. (laughs) 
Yeah, what was that? And I thought maybe it was just that song, but then listening to maybe other ones, he doesn't do it. At, no, actually, that's a lie. In the verses for like um, DJ or even um, what was it? Was it Gangsters and Guns? Because I just remember it's like some of my friends sell records, some of my friends sell drugs, and I'm like, all right, okay. <laughs> Where are you from again? Or do they sell records and drugs? I was like, hey, I got this vinyl, and it's like, this is a bag of cocaine. It's like, is it? <laughs> oh, you're purchasing this Daft Punk album. Here's some coke. <laughs> oh, you got in rainbows with you, bro. You're gonna need this weed. <laughs> Get it. But yeah, transplants were not great. You know what though? I could deal with Tim Armstrong's weird, semi-problematic vocal affectations. It was Skinhead Rob that. Well, one, I'm sorry. If this dude ever hears this, my bad. But that's a hard sell to be like, yeah. oh hey, here's Travis Barker from Blink 182. It's like okay, pop punk royalty. Then you got Rancid, who's also like you know ska punk royalty. Then you got Skinhead Rob. I'm like, hmm, hmm. hmm why I'm you sure. here? I don't know about the name, but then I feel like the energy was just never the same because Travis is just, you know, laying in the cut. Tim, you know, he's doing his weird thing, but then he would just come out of nowhere like, I can't damn it, never walk right, never live forever. It felt like, whoa, 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 whoa. Relax. Why are you screaming? <laughs> right. Indoor voices, please, <laughs> Mr. Rob. Uh, sir, this is a Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> I always love that one song, uh, DJ, DJ, where at one point he's just kind of like, all I remember is just kind of nodding. And then at some point he just yells, I'm gonna grab something. I'm gonna get in that ass. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, this is way <laughs> too aggressive. This is like a summer, like jam kind of song. Like, this is that laid back. You got these cool grooves, you know, got the nice piano. Why are you screaming and why are you fighting me? Why are we getting into like violent confrontations? <laughs> I don't know. I I know that I had that album. I know I listened to it for probably about two weeks, and then I put it away, and I never listened to it again. Poor Travis. I feel like in order to set up all the story, we kind of had to start at the self-titled a little bit. Yeah. Was this what two thousand three? Which Again, shout out to Travis, because the older I get, it really doesn't make sense for the rest of the album, but the Fallen interlude was so damn good. Yeah, turns out, Travis Barker, good at playing drums. Who knew? <laughs> Surprise to all of us. Almost to the point where it's like, can you guys just re-record like Dude Ranch and Cheshire Cat? Like, Please Travis? do that. Scott wasn't bad. He was a perfectly fine drummer for what they were doing. But, like, those albums could definitely use some Travis flavor. I wouldn't be mad about it. And early on, I remember when Travis first joined, I'm like, who's this guy? Like, who the hell is he? He's not Scott. Until he starts drumming, then you're like, oh, my God. Like, he's almost overqualified for this band. Oh, a thousand percent. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Travis Barker should be playing, like, Rush shit. That needs to happen. If Rush decides to start performing again, Rush or Travis would be amazing. Those fills would be like, you would cry. Yeah. <laughs> Aw. Just imagining, like, Getty Lee hanging out with Travis Barker. Both of them just kind of being quiet and goofy and smiling at each other makes me very happy. <laughs> and I think, to me, Travis... 
because I was talking to Niche on uh, H&I's Issues episode about this thing with regards to, like, Hoot and Cambria. Mm-hmm. I was making this joke about how, like, each member was almost like a member of the Ninja Turtles. And their current bassist, Zach Cooper, I kind of described as Donatello as being kind of, like, the center of all of these other relative extreme personalities. And he could kind of lean in any of those directions. But since he's so centered, it it kind of, like, makes everything work. And Travis Barker is, and I say this to be completely positive, a fucking Donatello. Uh-huh. Because Mark and Tom, I love them to death, but I think without Travis, it would just not work. Which is why I feel like there's a reason why he drummed for their side projects. Yeah. Spoiler alert, there will probably almost definitely, in fact, be an episode about the self-titled album. Because it's cool, and I want to talk about it. But I've come to realize that post Take Off Your Pants and Jacket Blink, a little bit of a hot take. Far more interesting than early Blink days. When Take Off Your Pants and Jacket happened, I loved that album, but it definitely felt like the end of that particular era. I totally agree. I think they started taking more risks after that and decided to have like a grown-up band where, you know... There weren't poop jokes and sex jokes and fucking dog jokes and whatnot through it. Yeah, those are always the weirdest. Yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. A little bit. Um. <laughs> Sorry, we just had like NPR <laughs> host kind of going through. And uh, this next song is Expletive Deleted a Dog, which is a bonus track of uh, one of the special edition discs of Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. I bought that album three times because... Each different version had different secret songs on it. Nerd. Yeah, I'm a fucking nerd. Spoiler alert. I just wanted the plane because, well, fuck yeah, Travis. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, so the self-titled album. You brought us here for a reason. Right, because I think this is around the time to me where... On a personal level, you start to see where Mark and Tom start to gravitate away from each other creatively. Mm -hmm. And I'll be first to say, I loved, loved, loved Boxcar Racer. Yes. And and I had said to myself, what was the one song Mark was on? Was it Elevator? Yes. Which is a really dark song, by the way. If you ever it's honestly the best pop punk song about someone jumping out of a window. I haven't listened to Boxcar Racer in probably a decade. I listen to it too much, but yeah, like (laughs) Tom's part is him either jumping off of a building or out of a window and Mark's verses are essentially from the perspective of somebody watching him do it. And it's so disturbing, but it's such a solid groove because again, Travis slaps and Mark and Tom and it's like, you know what? It was like blink, but it was much more subdued, much more laid back. And I was like, and I remember saying to myself a lot of times, usually on bus rides to school being like, If they did an album that was more like this, I would totally be into it. And then a self-titled happened. Because there's not one poop joke to be found. No. I'm trying to think of, like, what song off of that album is the most like their old shit. I would say Go was probably a a strong contender because that was probably one of the few, like, real fast-paced pop-punk songs on there. But even just subject matter-wise... I I don't know if it's semi-autobiographical from Mark's perspective about, you know, the divorce and the fact that, you know, he and his mom were trying to leave the house. Right. You could make an argument for feeling this, because that song is stupid. (laughs) 
<laughs> what? I like it a lot. It's like lyrically stupid. <laughs> it is, but I always loved that one bit, like um, Mark's Bridge. I always just remember being hyped that I finally was able to nail like the lyrics to that and the cadence without fucking it up. Yeah. I don't know. I had these small. It's not the greatest Blink song. No. But you know what it is, though? I think the video kind of made it worse because it was still sort of leaning on that thing of teenage rebellion that, you know, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket was all about. And I think the fact that at this point in their careers, they have children and families and it was starting to come off as a little disingenuous. Yeah, it's starting to not be them anymore. Like, sorry, you have kids now. You have to kind of be an adult. I don't necessarily want a Blink-182 album about, like, changing diapers and sleepless nights and shit but like i don't need your teenage drunken bullshit anymore it's weird (laughs) right and i think as mark and at least his songs on the self-titled at least to me felt very confessional yes uh, what was the one song, the outro, the violence that was like based off of, it was like, I think letters from like his grandparents or something from like World War II. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was him. Yeah. And that like that song too. But I feel like this is around a time where Tom was starting to go in that direction where again, he, uh, there had to have been one fucking space related song. Like, fuck. <laughs> and Astenia was a good song, but this is the part where, like, yeah, this is not, you guys are on completely different wavelengths. Yeah. Not to get into neighborhoods before we get into neighborhoods, but the spacey bonus track, I actually really like. <laughs> that is a good song. I know, like, I completely understand why it was not on the standard album, because it's fucking weird. <laughs> but as somebody who is kind of a low-key sci-fi nerd like i was here for it but if nothing else though like at least compared to like aliens exist which on enema was like okay where where are we going with this like this came out of left field where i feel like when the song was written <laughs> there were times where mark and travis looked back at each other like are, are you sure this is whatever fuck it let's go <laughs> This is our weird friend, and this is a weird thing that he likes. It's fine. Because <laughs> I don't remember, and that's the part that I don't know if you wrote down, and God, I actually, oh, crap. Now I'm starting to think about it. The original hiatus breakup is what, 2005? Yeah, 2005. Okay, because I, for some reason, never actually wrote any of that down. I tried finding the letter that they wrote sort of announcing it. It was one of those things where, like, I remember, like, 2005, I was a senior in high school. I was definitely sad about it, but I think I'd already sort of moved past Blink-182. I mean, like, it had been two years since the album, the last album came out. I wasn't really expecting much more. I don't know. It was one of those, like, I read the letter and I was sad, but I wasn't surprised. And that album sold gangbusters. And I remember there being, like, TV specials on MTV about it. Mm-hmm. But and I remember there was a couple of montages of fans lining up in music stores because this is 2003 um, to buy the CD. And I can only imagine what like a young kid was thinking as they first played that CD. It's not take off your pants or enema at all. And at the time, I think it hit for me personally only because at the risk of being all like super emo about it, 
there was a lot of shit going on. Like earlier in 2003, I'd lost uh, two family members, uh, stupid relationship crap. Finally reuniting with a friend of mine, but still kind of not really talking, making a new friend, but not really talking because he's off in school. Like it was just a lot of, and just home life stuff. Like it was probably at the time the roughest going that I had had. And that album, I think to me, worked so well because I was at a place where I was open to hearing it. I remember sort of struggling with that where I'm like, this is not the band that I sort of grew up with, but at the same time, like the changes and the sort of the things that they explored and the themes that they explored on that album hit at a good time as I was like getting ready to finish high school and go off to college and, you know, figuring out how adulthood sort of fit with me specifically. It's a good album. It's a damn good album. And I think time has proven that it holds up a lot more than people realize it did. There's some clunky moments on it, but I think overall, it's a good album. I think it's a better album than this one that we're doing. <laughs> right. So then once the... Uh, let's see, I'm trying to go back now. So this is February 25th... I'm sorry, 2005. Wow. Jumping ahead to the... That's the <laughs> later breakup. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, February 2005, you know, the label issued a press release regarding the indefinite hiatus. It Here it makes sense because, like we said, they have families now and their schedules are getting weirder. And, well, people are also getting stranger. And I'd imagine for a band that had toured nonstop, it came to a point where it was getting to be too much. And then, you know, talking about the fact that Tom just decided to take like a half year from touring and it's worth time with his family, which is cool. But it was like, okay, this is an overly long break, and he kind of just fell off the map. Yeah. And, okay, when did the Angels and Airwaves album come out? Do you remember? That was 2006. So, to presume that maybe his heart wasn't necessarily completely with Blink-182 and what they were trying to accomplish at that point isn't completely out of bounds. Going with that article that you sent me, which we'll add in the show notes to this, was very telling because even then I remember there being articles and interviews where it they were alluding to the fact that Tom just never fully communicated what was going on. You know, there was a central like a I need to take a break and that just might be their version of the story, but to sort of just drop off and especially when you have so much history. Now, if it was a case of not wanting to perform these songs anymore and do something else because all right, so you want to take a you know time out with your family. I totally understand that. Touring musicians, that's got to be rough. But For then sure. within a year, like you've got Angels and Airwaves, you have this whole project that's also touring. There's you know it's like it's not too much different unless it was maybe a lesser schedule. But to me, it just felt like I want to do Blink stuff, but not with you guys anymore. Well, and not necessarily I want to do Blink stuff. It's like I want to do my stuff and kind of stomping your feet and acting like a child about it because an adult would have been like look you know we've gotten to this point as a group however like this is something that i want to explore like an adult would have been clear and upfront and honest instead of pouting around and being dodgy and shitty 
<laughs> yeah, and I think that's it. Like, if he really was like, hey, I want to do... Remember those space songs I used to do that I used to weird you guys out in the studio? Well, I want to do a whole album full of those. And I'm going to take the drummer from Rocket from the Crypt, who Adrian specifically loves more so than Travis, with him and make it super weird. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to go track. But yeah, it's like, I just want to do my own shit. Like, just say that. Like, just be like, hey, I want to do my own thing and just let that be. And this one article is like, the breakdown of communication led to heated exchanges resulting in his ex- exit from the group. And that's it. The breakdown of communication. Band members leave a lot, and it's hard, I'd imagine. But I think at least just being open. And the reason why I bring that up, because I feel like that is what leads into some of the neighborhoods era stuff, because that same lack of communication is all over this album. So much. Oh, but we can't even go there yet. We have to go into, speaking of EA Travis, there's, um, you know, the oh no, Travis. <laughs> oh no, oh God, oh no. Um, first things first, before we, we bum everybody out. Um, I remember there's an, an interview that Tom did about Angels and Airwaves in which he instructed people that the best way to listen to that album was in a dark room at night with one single candle lit, which was the moment in which I knew I was not going to like it. (laughs) I'm like, this is for somebody. It is not for me. (laughs) Fucking pretentious space bullshit. Get out of (laughs) here. Could you imagine, like, you, you have, you do exactly that, you, you close the blinds, some of the you got one candle, and hello, here I am. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Time to go, life's waiting to begin. Oh my god. God, it's like if Terrence Malick wanted to do, like, a pop punk band. That. Like, I've already seen this field, why are you keep showing me this field? <laughs> oh my god. But I get what he was going for in some ways. Um, what was the album that just came out like today? Um, Igor by Tyler, the creator. Yeah. Um, so I had pulled this up and it's funny because this was just saved from earlier, but it kind of fits what you were saying. So at some point he had put out this post saying, Igor, this is not bastard. This is not goblin. This is not wolf. This is not cherry bomb. This is not flower boy. This is Igor. Pronounced E. Gore. Don't go into this expecting a rap album. Don't go into this expecting any album. Just go. Jump into it. I believe the first listens work best all the way through. No skips front to back. No distractions either. No checking your phone. No watching TV. No holding convo. Full attention towards the sound where you can form your own opinions and feelings towards the album. Go on some walks. Some drive. Some lay in bed and sponge it all up. Whatever it is you choose, fully indulge with volume. As much as I would like to paint a picture and tell you my favorite moments, I would rather you form your own. If we ever cross paths, feel free to articulate what those moments were for you. Keep it timely, though. I'm not trying to have an Oprah episode. Stanky smelly mucho. (laughs) So. (laughs) And I get it. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate what his intention is however tom you don't get to fucking tell me how i digest your art that's just not you you put it out there at that point like you've let your little baby bird fly and it's up to the baby bird to you know 
figure out what its next step is and how it's perceived by everybody around. You can't control that as much as you fucking want to. You just can't. Don't tell me how to live my life. Now, I wonder if some of the Angels and Airwaves contention, maybe personally, is not even just pretension, but just... No, it is exactly that. And as someone who can be very pretentious with their music, this was to a point where it was even off-putting even for me. Like, what are we even talking about? What is this album? Like, you keep talking about this great experience that we're supposed to have, but what is the overall message? And maybe there's a fan right now who's super into them that's like, he's he's talking about life and love, you stupid shit. But I don't know. To be fair, I spent almost no time with that album just because it was not where I was musically at the point in which it was released. But wasn't there something about your best friend's not your girlfriend? I think that was the overall message of that album was, <laughs> I just remember that line or something along those lines being like, um, wait, are we still in space? Or are we just aliens. talking about love? Like, which one is it? Love aliens play Mass Effect. <laughs> Though my favorite description is on the album Love, in which Tom describes it as a circular narrative in many ways where it kind of sums up the human race in a time capsule. Fuck off. Fuck right <laughs> off. <laughs> I remember punk news. That used to be like a meme because anytime someone came out with an album and made some sort of like bizarre statement regarding it, <laughs> like that would in the comment section, that would be like the first line someone came up with. And I feel so bad because I try to respect artistry. But I just don't know what any of it meant. It's pretty flowery words strung together to form a sentence, kind of. It's it's space. And the grandeur and infinite possibilities of space. Please give me money so I can go there. Space is fucking rad. I get it. Like, I'm here. I understand your feelings, kind of. But, like... It's love, goddammit. <laughs> it's love and space. I don't know why... Why is that so difficult? It's love and space. Just... I... Just... <laughs> play Mass Effect like the rest of us and shut up. We all love Garrus. It's fine. <laughs> wait, hold on. Wait, when did Mass Effect first come out? That was... 2007. Per- Okay, so in other words, maybe he played an early build, and maybe what if Angels and Airways is all about Garrus? Sold. <laughs> Put the album in my ear holes. <laughs> Someone make an album about Garrus Vicarian, please. How has that not happened yet? Oh, I'm sure it exists. A thousand percent. There's somebody that's made music about Mass Effect and Garrus Vicarian and how he's fucking perfect in every way. He's everybody's favorite space boyfriend. That's right. (laughs) Oh, hold on. I'm going to go even better. Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) This is dated 2009. Tom DeLonge, which is spelled without the E, which, you know, put some respect on his name, is still planning significant releases with his project Ancient Airwaves. Tom discusses upcoming album and film Love with Billboard and notes that the album will be free thanks to corporate underwriting. Huh? Like, okay. His think tank. Is he trying to create like AIM, like, you know, from Marvel? Like, is he Modoc? <laughs> so, I, okay, I guess I don't understand. Like, it's Angels and Airwaves, love presented by Target. Like, is that <laughs> what's happening? Love is the biggest release of my life, the pinnacle of my creativity. It's super conceptual and highbrow in many ways, very artistic, very Stanley Kubrick. But I... it's not a rock opera. 
Ugh. It's a very modern version of what could happen when you blend the film industry and the music industry together in a very, very arty, kind of cool way with professionals involved all along the path. Um, Pink Floyd already did that. <laughs> the sound you hear is the sound of my eyes rolling so hard that they're stuck in my head. Uh, yeah, sorry. Dark Side of the Moon exists. You don't get to be that. Dark Side of the Moon, Tommy, Rocky Horror Picture Show, like... These exist. You can pretend like they don't all you want with your fucking space bullshit. But they exist. Sorry. (laughs) Get a time machine. I don't fucking know what to tell you. Be better sooner. (laughs) Meanwhile, back on Earth, while Tom DeLonge is essentially assembling the children of Thanos, um, (laughs) Mark and Travis are like, Hey, remember fun? (laughs) We made an album also. It's okay. It's all right. And it's got numbers still. Like, remember, like, you guys like with us? Yeah. (laughs) It's Blink-82 plus 44. Plus 44. I honestly don't remember that album either, and I feel bad. Um, I remember the single from that album. I remember seeing them and it being mediocre, and that is it. As far as my plus 44 memories are concerned. You know what it is? It feels like like if someone had a gun to my head, or not even, someone just pointing a gun at me in general. It's like, other than When Your Heart Stops Beating, name like three other plus 44 songs. Nope. I grabbed her hand, put the gun close to my chest, and pulled the trigger myself. Yeah. Because I would just have to go. Like, I wouldn't even attempt. And I feel bad because they were both trying really hard to move on. Tom had custody of Travis during Boxcar Racer, and then, <laughs> you know, he went to go visit his other dad for a couple of weekends in Plus 44, but it was weird, and he's like, I miss my dads. I miss them being together. Yeah. It's it's sort of what I imagine of Ringo Starr after the Beatles broke up, because <laughs> I, I think he drummed for all three of them at one point or another, but he's just like, I miss my weird family. Um, also, I'm being infantilized for some reason, and I'm not a real adult. Someone take care of me. <laughs> he just seems so sweet and childlike. I just want his dads to get together and take care of him like they're supposed to. There was also the divorce with Travis, and the whole time of these yeah. two are going back and forth, Travis is suffering and no one's paying attention. It's hard to be the well-behaved child that is parented on autopilot. Spoken as the kid who was well-behaved and parented on autopilot. You just kind of have to shuffle that shit down and pretend like everything is fine because everybody expects you to. And Travis seems like such an upbeat, sweet dude that I'm sure he felt some of that pressure to sort of maintain the image of being a sweet little punk kid. Oh, my God. Okay, this is dark. I kind of forgot this part. Um, I guess around the time of 2005... Uh, Tom also mentioned that he was addicted to painkillers and he was losing his mind. Oh, shit. Like, I was on thousands of painkillers. I almost killed myself and did not realize that his promise of revolution sounded highly ambitious. I don't think that I knew that. Oh, that's right. I forgot. Mark went into producing as well. Yes. Or, I mean, he was producing already because I didn't he also produce Simple Plans first album way back. Yes. He produced. He, I know he produced a song for the matches. Um, didn't he do some stuff with Motion City? Yeah, like their best fucking album. (laughs) Um, also, Motion City, stay tuned for that shit. (laughs) Yeah, 
that's totally a Nash episode. I'm just going to just land a cut and just be like, you could just riff for an hour. I won't even be upset. Justin Pierre, I am coming for you. <laughs> like, this is so bad. I mean, and, and by bad, I just mean like, this really is the darkest timeline. Fucking bleak for three California kids who are just kind of like, I want to make fucking poop jokes in a song. And then just like got famous. What came first? Was it Jerry Finn dying or was it the plane crash? Uh, I think Jerry died first. And then yeah, the so plane crash. Jerry Finn, like their longtime producer, suffered a cerebral hemorrhage and was taken off life support. And then, wait, oh, holy shit, that was the same year. Yeah, both things happened really close together. Yeah, because it was August when uh, Jerry died. And then in September... Uh, Barker and DJ AM, who some of you might remember from Iron Man 2. Yes. I always forget that he's in that movie. And then, like, rewatching it, I'm like, oh, yeah. And then it gets sad again. <laughs> yeah, because I think that was, yeah, that was afterwards, too. So that was, oh, man, that's actually even darker. Because didn't he die not too long after that movie came out? Yeah, because um, he overdosed. Yeah. So let's see. He and Barker were in a plane crash that they were the only two survivors of. I feel terrible that I don't actually remember who was in that plane crash. So Barker sustained second and third degree burns. And in addition to, you know, developing PTSD, uh, the accident resulted in 16 surgeries and 48 hour blood transfusions. Yikes. And, like, Hoppus uh, supposedly got the call, like, in the middle of the night, which is the worst time to ever get news like that. Yeah. And it always seems like that's always the time when that news is received. And here's where it gets strange. And and just for the record, any laughter of this part is more of the nervousness because I still can't figure out what it means. Okay. So, with this one caption, essentially, it's a picture of Mark Thomas Travis, um, I think they're in a submarine. And yeah. basically, this one caption to me, and, you know, there, there's the part where Tom mentions, you know, how distraught he was because he thought he was going to die. And then it's like, following Barker's near-fatal plane crash, Tom mailed Barker this 2003 photo of the trio aboard a submarine in the Middle East, reminding him of who we were. But then also sent him another picture, I guess, with him and his kids, like, this is who I am now. So. And I'm still trying to figure out what that means, because it sounded sweet at first. Oh, a thousand percent. Especially when you look at this photo, and it's Mark grinning like a cherub little baby. Travis looking just kind of blank faced at the camera and Tom making a dumb fish face and like the like surfer rock on symbol. And then just like a bunch of stoned faced like military guys standing behind them. It's And also that swoop, man, that is that is some early 2000s swoop going on right there with Tom. Uh -huh. I love it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's it like it's like a perfect Little snapshot of Blink-182 at their, like, peak Blink-182-idness. Yeah, and that part, to me, it's it's very sweet. And I think, in a way, even though things didn't pan out, like, it's that thing of parents, and I, we've said this before, where, you know, you have two parents who are just not getting along and are trying their best to figure themselves out, each other out, their relationship, still trying to figure out, like, what to do with the kid, but then you know, goes through a tragedy with said kid and everything kind of gets put on hold. Yeah. And also, sorry, Travis Barker. Like, we really are just like, <laughs> like I am a grown man. Like, I have children myself, you dipshits. <laughs> uh, I, 
I don't, I get who we were. I don't get, this is who I am now feels really fucking backhanded and shitty. And especially considering that it feels like it was Tom that really introduced the idea of them reuniting. It just... And I generally wonder, and I'm, of course, this is all speculative, if he was maybe sound during that time, because, you know, knowing, like, the conflict he's got, because something that, if anything, Aliens Exist taught us, and he said as much in the damn song, is that he's a bit paranoid. And the idea of paranoia is rampant throughout his songwriting. You see it on Neighborhoods. You see it in Angels and Airwaves. You see it on Old Link, even. So, yeah, paranoia is is part of who he is as a person. Right. And that must be hard to deal with because I feel like he's got a lot of personal demons that he's sort of fighting. For sure. And as well as everybody does. Because, I mean, yes... He almost lost a friend, a bandmate, arguably a family member. But it almost felt like this thing of, I believe he doth protest too much. Like, I think a large part of him wanted to bring the band back together to try to remember what it was that brought them together in the first place, but not really knowing how. So I keep looking at it, and the only non-shitty interpretation that I can come up with is, do you remember who we were? This is who I am now. This is who I am now because of who we were. And maybe that's it. I don't know. I really came up. I was like Dr. Strange in here coming up with millions of different (laughs) possibilities of what this meant. And I think you might be honest something because something I was thinking is if he's what he's saying is very true much about the fact that he almost didn't survive post, you know, the first breakup. Right. Maybe in a way that helped him kind of realize that he wasn't in a good spot either. I don't know. Like, like you said, like this is why I am because if it weren't for this, I would have made it this far with my own family. I don't know. Like, I don't think his intentions were meant to be, you know, shitty. Yeah. I, it's just a very odd way to put that. Yeah. I would like to think that he wouldn't throw fuel onto the house fire. That is Travis's current existence. It's just an odd way of of expressing himself and expressing his emotions or not really expressing them. I don't. Right. Not to mention the fact that a near death experience for those who are in it or those involved in it. There's so many emotions going on with them. And I'd imagine there's also a lot of stuff that they probably never really dealt with even prior to all this. So now trying to come together in the only way I think that they knew how. But now listening to Neighborhoods, I think this may have done more harm than good. Especially in learning more about how this album was put together and like the recording process. Uh, Yeah, a thousand percent. Wow. So, (laughs) well, (laughs) I know this is. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. I want to like this album. And this is that weird era of Blink where it just. I don't know. I still don't know how to feel about this. Because in some ways, I feel Travis, I think, has the best time when it comes to, and this is just from my own perspective, has the best time when it comes to creative endeavors. Because I feel like he, you know, he he can do the pop punk album. 
he can work with like a Steve Aoki or, or when he was doing a lot of, like I said, hip hop related stuff, you know, working with Diddy or like Busta Rhymes or Lil Jon. You know, Tom kind of went the other way where it's a very grandiose, you know, space. I, you know, let me stop making fun of space. It's not space's fault, <laughs> but just this very <laughs> grandiose, you know, audio visual experience where it's less about just a simple album than it is just this whole mode. And Mark, God bless him, really just is a matter of just, you know, wanting to kind of like have fun and, you know, talk about things, you know, when they come up, but really just wants to kick back and enjoy life. And the three of them are just in completely different places. So I think that it was fun to track sort of throughout the album. Travis said he want that he enjoyed doing the hip hoppy stuff and wanted to bring that to Blink-182. Tom wanted to bring, you know, the epic sort of angels and airwaves bullshit. It's not bullshit, but it's bullshit. Um, that kind of <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it's not bullshit, but it's absolute fucking bullshit. <laughs> um, that sort of stuff. And then Mark said at this point he was listening to a lot of like indie hipster pop shit and wanted to bring. We're just so up our alley. Um, and wanted to bring that sort of influence to it. And I think that sort of encapsulates their personalities and their sort of trajectory at the time. And you can kind of see why it didn't work long term. And I think you can kind of see the dissonance of those things with this album. Like I said, I didn't want to come into it hating it, and I still don't. But just everything about it is disjointed. On one end, this album probably didn't need to happen, but it was probably the best they could do given what everything was going on. Yeah, man. Holy shit. (laughs) This has been Happy Fun Times with Adrian and Ashley. Have a good night. I was walking with the ghost. For more great podcasts, visit adrianhasissues.com.